Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. Hey, hey, we got NFL football tonight. How about that? Tampa Bay and Carolina. We were just talking yesterday. All sports, all sports is local. And after local, then it's regional. The NFL learned a long time ago. I think it was in the early 80s. I read a book about this once, or maybe it was a long magazine story or something, but it's kind of in-depth about how they used to try to send the best games into every market, and then they learned, no, don't do that. Send in regional games. You know, if like Minnesota's not playing, try to give Minnesota another game from that division with Green Bay and Chicago or Detroit because they hate those teams, and they'll watch them to see if they lose. It's like people here are like, why are the Broncos on all the time? Because they get the best ratings year after year. It'll get tested this year. I think this is a bad Bronco team. That was not a good start with the Raiders. And you know the Chiefs are really good. I think the Chargers are okay. I think the Raiders are okay. Uh-oh, Denver! So we'll see what happens. But we were talking about this yesterday. In college football, we watch the Pac-12. We watch the Mountain West. We watch Western teams. It's regional. Local first, regional next, and then national. Going to be a tough one to watch tonight, Tampa Bay, Carolina. Both coming off losses in their opener. All right, we're going to talk a little college football. We're going to get you ready for BYU and USC. Can USC run the ball on BYU? I know we're talking about the quarterback. I know we're talking about the receivers, and we should because they're good. But USC's running game was pretty good against Stanford. They Their three touchdown runs, they ran one outside. They ran a couple right up the middle. And young quarterbacks tend to struggle in the red zone. If you can run the ball in the red zone, you take all the pressure off the quarterback. If you score touchdowns, you can blow a game open. If you kick field goals, you're not blowing the game open. The other team's going to hang around. How good can Kyrus Tonga be in there just locking everything up in the middle? Here he is with the media on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. In terms of what we've seen from the D-line so far, um, do you feel like you're coming close to your ceiling um, in terms of what you guys can do? Um, I feel like we've been improving, like from Utah to Tennessee. I think there's still a lot uh, to learn from and to grow as a, as a defensive line, but um, that's, that's good for us to improve. Hopefully we can continue to improve and um, just get better each and every day during practice. Have you been able to get much of a look at the true freshman quarterback for USC yet? I know there's only about a game and a half of tape you can go from. Uh, I think we're going to go more in depth today, but I watched uh, I started watching film on like on the way home from Tennessee, uh, just watching the game and um, he's, a, he's a good quarterback. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be fun. His O line is very good. Receivers are great, so um, it'll be a good test for us. You say you guys get better as that Tennessee game went along. What went into that? Uh, I think just uh, just playing in Tennessee, uh, a lot of a lot of nervous, like a lot of people were nervous uh, being able to play in like SEC, like an SEC school. So uh, I think as our emotions went down and we just started playing, just start playing ball, start doing what we needed to do, and uh, uh, worked out. Do you get the same nerves playing at home? Just maybe cause by the large crowds or anything, or what, what's the difference? I think playing at home. No, I, I don't. I don't really get nervous uh, playing at home. Um, I wasn't really nervous at Tennessee. Kind of more of a like it's crazy being there. Uh, it gave me flashbacks to Wisconsin when we went over there. I wasn't really nervous, but uh, more shocked at like how loud it was. I mean, people were booing us and stuff, but it was fun. So you're going from facing a couple of uh, run-heavy offenses back to back to uh, facing an offense that's more air raid. 
and more passing in it. Um, what, what's the challenge for a defensive line to switch from kind of facing a run-heavy attack to a pass-heavy attack? Yeah, our mindset needs to be uh, get to the QB as fast as we can, uh, pressure the freshman quarterback. Um, that has to be uh, key for our defensive line. We need to get, we need to crush the pocket. Um, with the run, is it's all about penetration and uh, being in the backfield. And now it's now it's if we can contain the QB, it'll, uh, it'll be good for us. So. Was that by design that you didn't start out the first like couple plays of that game on, on Saturday? Yeah, I uh, I had hurt my knee. I didn't think I was going to play this game, so uh, I tweaked it. So. I sat back and watching and just went in and just started playing. So, so the coaches had rolled you out. Yeah, no, they uh, they just said be smart with it, but they weren't gonna. They're just gonna uh, have me like go with the threes and the fours, and then um, as the game went on, just I just started playing more. So now does it feel now here on Monday? Yeah, it's good. You're it's, gonna be ready to go this yeah, week. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So it got better with playing then. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you see, had some success running the ball, and then late in the fourth and overtime, you guys were able to clamp that down. How were you guys able to adjust and stop the run late in that game? We, uh, they really trusted their running backs uh, throughout the whole game. He was breaking off off the edge, and um, Coach Elisha just told us to uh, just get penetration because they're the way they're blocking us. They, they try to cut us off, and they cut us off a lot. So um, our, our focus was to penetrate and um, and to, to seal the edge. So our DNs did great job of sealing the edge towards the end and uh, causes us, uh, the D linemen and the, the linebackers, to fill in the holes and make the plays. Kairos, last year you guys beat Arizona, came home, didn't play well, and lost to Cal. Went beat Wisconsin, came home, beat McNeese State. But, but then later you lost to... Uh, Washington and then Utah home. Why do you think you played better on the road against these bigger teams? I don't know. I think it's uh, I don't know. I we love playing home. We love we love playing anywhere. Actually, uh, for me, it's uh, I think it's just a lot of the players we have a, like a mindset of we gotta be perfect in front of our home crowd. And then when we go away, we like, all right, we'll make mistakes, but we can build off of it. Um, I think we just need to just get away from that that mindset and uh, just just play ball and just have fun. You mentioned a minute ago how important it will be to, to put pressure on the USC quarterback and, and get that penetration. Overall, through the first two games, how do you how do you feel you guys as a defensive line have done with that on getting the pressure you want to get? I think we can get we can do way better. Um, like I said, we're we're still learning, uh, we're still uh, we're still improving, and I hope to uh, I hope as a D line we can uh, to execute on on game days with that. So, what were you thinking of your fellow defensive lineman Zach uh, chucking that shoe? What, what, did you see that at all? In the, when it happened live? <laughs> so I had that play. I had ran out to grab water, and I turned around and I just see something in the air. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a bird. And uh, I thought Bird came straight down to their sideline, and they came off there laughing. I was like, "What happened to like Zach through the QB shoe?" <laughs> I just started laughing, like, "Dude, this guy, man!" But uh, I thought it's was, it was funny. It's Zach, Zach Dolby. I don't know. That's weird. I wouldn't have done it, but he did it, man. It was funny though. What do you think of the growth of, of your other teammate, uh, Nice Mahe? He's uh, been making a great push and consistently the last two weeks. Well, he's uh, 
I'm proud of him. He's uh, he's come a long way off his injuries. Uh, he's been working hard, and uh, he's definitely going to get a, a lot more playing time. He's a, he's a strong guy, um, built for the job. So, You guys were down pretty much from the beginning of the game all the way until Jake tied it up at the end. How do you keep that morale up to keep yourselves in the game? We've been in situations like that. I mean, we were just telling our offense, like, hey, we know you guys are going to pull through. We didn't know when, if it's going to be in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. But we know you guys will pull through, and we'll, we'll keep our end of the bargain. So uh, defense, every time it was uh, said so the offense would come out in three and out, we already had the mentality like, all right, we're going to keep them from not scoring. I'll hold them to a field goal if that, but if anything else than that is bad. So uh, we kept high hopes, and um, the offense did their job. They, they went down, they scored. Uh, Micah had that great catch, and uh, everything was just on point. So. Do you have any personal connections to anyone on this USC team? Any friendships there? No. No. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did USC recruit you? Were they part of anybody that recruited you? No, not USC. So I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone in California. So, <laughs> so yeah. Growing up, did you see USC, like what they are? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, growing up, I always knew USC in my head just a powerhouse. Um, and everything that they do, if it's if it's academics or volleyball or football, that they're everything they do is good. So, you playing as a five technique at times. We've seen you in that three man set. You fancy yourself a defensive end at some level? I mean, I don't like I don't like playing outside. If that's my proof, that's just me. But it's just I rather I rather take the double teams like every single day than be out there. It's just so much space out there for me. So. It's, it's weird. So. Last question. Are you going to take a lot of double teams against this SC front line that's been pretty good through two games with two different quarterbacks and everything? Man, the way they, the way I see it, they, oh man, I, I hope I can get the one on one. Like if the center, then yeah, but I, I'll, I'll take the double team if, if I need to. So I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's BYU's Kyrus Tonga. When we come back, we're going to talk life of Riley. Riley Jensen, and then Riley Nelson. Stay with us. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Riley, good morning. Good morning, dudes. Riley, I don't know if you know this, but you're joining us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. I did know that, and uh, (laughs) you do a great job. You do a great job of highlighting the Sprint Sprint hotline. All right, Riley. It's BYU, and it's USC, and USC's quarterback just looked off the charts. How do you slow down a quarterback who looked that good? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because there, there, there is some part to this that, you know, there wasn't a lot of film on this guy. You don't, you don't really know how to take away some of the things that he does well. And now that you have film, there's a, there's a little bit of an opportunity, but there was just so many good things from him. I, 
I was watching that game and I was like, who is this guy? Like, I, I'm Googling him. I'm trying to figure out, like, where does this guy come from? You know, he wasn't a huge recruit. Part of the reason he wasn't a huge recruit is because he wasn't on a great team. But I'm telling you, this guy, he has an it factor. And I think both for BYU and Utah, like, I, I think you have to be a little bit disappointed that this guy might even be better than, than the first quarterback that got hurt. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. But if you want to slow down this quarterback, I think there's two things that you try to do as a defense coordinator. One, you try and take away his first read. And two, you try and get him to, to, to move the spot that he's throwing from. Meaning, if I've got a three-step drop, or if I've got a three-step drop and a hitch, you want him to at least have to move off of that before he throws the ball because accuracy seems to go down quite a bit, even if you don't get a sack, if a quarterback doesn't get to throw in rhythm. And so I think those are going to be two keys to the game this Saturday for sure. So do you think that the number one uh, desire or choice or option for the Cougars should to get pressure on this kid no matter what and whatever it takes, even if you give up some vulnerability in the back end? I, I kind of don't think that. Okay. I, I mean, it, it's interesting because you, there's two ways to attack a young quarterback. There's one where you, you want to make a guy be patient. You want to make a guy really just take what they give, take, take what they give you, meaning you take away the deep options, you maybe drop some different guys into some different looks, and then um, make him just take the short throw and be really patient all game because after the game that he had last game, uh, there wasn't a lot that was taken away, and so he's probably looking, he's probably looking forward to playing in this game and like, yeah, this can be the way it is, man. I'm, I'm going to stand in there. I'm going to throw digs. I'm going to throw outs. I'm going to throw nice seam routes, and we're going to win this game. But if you can just take him out of the mindset that he was already in in some way. And that, that could include some pressures, but mixing it up, maybe maybe go on a three-man rush and drop eight guys and really make it difficult for him to just be able to throw it. Um, but you got to make him uncomfortable because, man, I, I haven't seen a guy in his first real start look as comfortable as he did um, just the other night against Stanford. You know, the risk with bringing uh, extra bodies is you're going to leave guys one-on-one with a bunch of 6'3", 6'4", receivers. They just seem to have no end. I mean, at the top end, they've got, you know, probably at least three NFL guys, maybe more than that. But all the young guys are bringing in look like nightmare matchups, too. And you've talked about throwing to an NFL receiver and how much better it made you as a quarterback. So I get that you want to pressure him, but, man, leaving a bunch of – Leaving a bunch of defensive backs one-on-one with six-four future NFL draft picks sounds like a pretty dangerous idea. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I Look, there's always going to be a certain time that you need to bring pressure and you need to bring extra guys, but every defensive coordinator, if he had his druthers, would love it if he can bring pressure on the quarterback with his front four and not have to blitz guys because then you get coverage. Then you, then you have your, your four guys rushing the quarterback and you don't have to worry about it. But like you said, when, when you have NFL-type receivers that you're throwing to, well, I mean, one of the things that was so great when I was playing with Kevin Curtis is that all of a sudden you become more accurate because you know he's going to catch even the bad ball. And so there's no pressure to be perfect. There's no pressure to, like, 
you know, there's some receivers that you throw to that if you don't put it right on his face mask, that guy's not going to catch the ball. That guy's extremely hard to be accurate with. When you have a guy like Kevin Curtis, who you know is just going to make all kinds of efforts to catch the ball, and his catching radius is ridiculous, all of a sudden you start putting it on his face mask all the time and football becomes really easy. And so with these receivers at USC, uh, like you said, they're 6'3", they're 6'4", they can run, they have huge catching radius. All of a sudden it's really fun to play quarterback because you don't have to be perfect. And because you don't have to be perfect, all of a sudden you start throwing more accurately. Yeah, I understand that concept, certainly. Uh, I mean, and this is so, so minor, but I played baseball with a kid they had at first base who who had stone hands. And if you didn't put it right right on the numbers, he wasn't going to catch it. And then they replaced him with a guy who was like Gumby. I mean, he could stretch his body every which way and make every throw you threw over there. And consequently, all your throws were right on the number. I mean, it, I it, it was it was a phenomenal changeover. The better the player at the other end, the better the throw was on my end. Yeah, and it and it can work, and it can work the other way too. I mean, when it, when a quarterback's really good, he can make receivers look good too. And so, but it, it, there really is a psychological feel to the fact when you when you're playing around great players. Um, the fact that you don't have to put it right where you need to, just like you're talking about throwing to your first baseman and not having to worry if you throw a one-hopper, he's going he's gonna to scoop it up for you. All of a sudden, you just start throwing better because you, your worry is not like, is this guy going to catch it? Your worry is, am I going to get it over there quick enough? Am I going to put it Am I going to put it in the right window for him to catch it? And I, I just think that's a big thing this week. I also thought, I, I mean, we've always known that USC is just stacked – with talent, but I thought their run game, I thought their court, I, I thought their offensive line was better than what I thought they were going to be. And it's really hard for me to think because when I was watching the Fresno game, I was like, ah, oh, USC, here they, here they go again. Could it really be that just one player, like one quarterback, makes that big of a change and that big of a difference? Maybe, because that looked like a completely different team against Stanford to me. So I'm curious here, and this, you know, I, I, I kind of shoot down my own theory right away because they were down 17-3 and they fought back and got off the deck. But the offense was struggling, but I didn't think the quarterback necessarily was. And in the Tennessee game, I thought BYU was struggling a little bit defending Tennessee's pass. I thought Tennessee's passing game was effective through the first half. It wasn't great, but it was, it was good. And then... BYU gets the pick early in the third quarter. And not only did they get the short field and the touchdown to make it a 13-10 game, but I thought going forward, the passing game became really tentative and really pretty ineffective. And BYU pretty made them one-dimensional. And I wonder how much that was just mentally they got that pick, and then you're thinking, be careful. And the Tennessee passing game wasn't what it was in the first half. If they get an early sack, if they get an early pick, how much easier does that make it for BYU going forward in the game? Well, I think it would make it easier against a team like Tennessee where they don't have a ton of confidence in their quarterback. But, right. I mean, you could see from the coaching staff all the way down to the, to, the, to, to the lowest player on the team at USC that they have confidence in this quarterback. Now, is he going to throw picks? Yes. Is it, are, are you going to get a sack? Yes. I, I think those two things will happen in this game. But I don't think it'll have the same effect because I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that, that interception by Kavika uh, Fanua was 
first of all, he had a tip in the first half that they lucked out and got a touchdown. And sometimes that becomes foolproof for you as a quarterback. You're like, well, it wasn't a pick, and I threw a touchdown, and I'm feeling good. They threw better in the first half. But but after that interception, I totally agree with you. It it was like they were scared to death to throw the ball. Yeah, I mean they were they were so nervous, and I and I'm I think you're right. I think they became completely one dimensional. And I you know going into once once BYU made it into overtime, I was like this game's over because they they can't throw, they can't throw. And then there was a couple of bad play calls by Tennessee, okay, you know. And you got to give credit, you know. The one thing that I like about the the game is oftentimes. You know, I can't remember exactly how many seconds before that last that last throw to Micah Simon. I know it ended at like seven, but you know, you're talking about 20 seconds. You got to go like 80 yards to score. A lot of times, it's really easy to just cash it in as a team. And it's one thing for Micah Simon to get open the way he was. It's another thing for the quarterback to actually see it within his progression and the reads. I mean, that was a, that was a big play and. I, I do feel like that's going to build some confidence for the BYU offense this Saturday, and I think it'll be, I think it'll be a very, very close game um, for about three quarters, and then I think at the end, I think you're just going to see that USC has too much firepower. Well, going forward, and then that very well may be the case, you know, but uh, BYU would then have uh, what nine games to go, uh, and it looks like. Zach Wilson, you look at him, difference between game one and game two where there were no pick sixes and it kept BYU in the game and they were in striking distance and then they make the play at the end, tie it and win it, obviously. Is that going to be the key for him is to avoid the turnover going forward? Yeah, I, I mean, I, when, I, when I look at the difference between game one and game two, uh, the game plan was a little bit more simplified for him, which I think was a good idea when you're going against a P5 conference team. There's just a lot of speed and a lot of moving parts. And I, I also thought that Utah did a better job of moving him off of his spot than Tennessee did. And when, when, when Zach can get in the flow and when he can get into a rhythm, he's, he's really tough. And so, to me, getting a couple of screen passes, a couple of short passes early in the game against USC, against Washington for the rest of the year, when he gets into that rhythm, he's a really, really good quarterback. And... The other thing that I thought was impressive was after a game where you throw two pick sixes that you come and you play a solid, you played a solid game at Tennessee. I mean, none of these stats that he's putting up right now are—he's not totally happy with it. He's not going, "Oh, geez, man, I'm lighting up these teams. I'm playing really good." But he's starting to understand how important it is at the quarterback position to take care of the football, how important it is to get good solid completions early in the game and then you know to me psychologically and mentally tough wise what he did last game is exactly what you want out of a quarterback you know it's it's the guy who's down four points with two minutes to go in the game and he can drive you down the field and get you a touchdown to win it um, no matter how bad the game's been up to that point and I think I think Zach has some of that factor to him where it doesn't really matter how much time is left on the clock it doesn't really matter to him what's happened previously in the game or previously in the season. He has some he has some it factor to him that, that he can go make a play and get you down the field and get you in the situation that they were in last week at Tennessee. Fresno State ran for 206 yards against USC. Stanford uh, ran for 98 yards. 
Now, I know you got sack yardage mixed in there, so that's a factor, too. But you get the point. USC tightened up the act a lot week two. Do you think BYU is going to be able to run the ball, or is Zach going to have to throw it because the run game gets stuffed? Um, I think this, this, is what's, this is what I'm still, I'm still struggling with right now with BYU. I, I was super frustrated last game that Georgia State had run for 200-and-something yards against Tennessee – and within the first three series at BYU, they they'd hardly run the ball at all. Like it wasn't even it didn't it almost felt like it was an afterthought to run the ball. And I was really surprised about that because you would think with an offense coordinator that's an offensive lineman that that they would really want to pound the rock. And they, and they did later in the game, and they did in the overtime, and that's kind of what ended up winning the game for them. So I'm confused as to what they think their identity is right now because. I think all of us look at it. I think BYU fan looks at it. I think you and me and PK, we all we all look at it and go, God, if you just run the ball with Tyson Williams, like it's going to set up a lot of things for you." But I don't feel like that was the game plan at all when they were when they were coming into the Tennessee game. So it's kind of dependent on the way the coaches decide they're going to attack. Um, if they come out and they say, "Look, we're going to run the ball. We're going to set up. We're going to set up the pass this week." and they're able to establish some sort of running game early in the game, I think that'll bode well. But my gut feeling tells me that they're going to come out, they're going to try and throw it around, and they're going to try and, and, and that this is Zach Wilson's team and that that's their identity. And so if they do only rush for 100 yards, it's going to be a long day. If they can rush for 150, they can rush for 150 yards, it's going to be a really close game, and they're going to have a chance to win it. Riley, we appreciate it. Thanks for uh, joining us here for a few minutes, and we will talk to you again next week. Talk to you soon, guys. Thank you. Love being on your show. Thursday mornings, it's the life of Riley. There's Riley Jensen, a college football insider. Riley Nelson, analyst for BYU football, joins us next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and we are joined now by Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Riley, question of the day. When BYU and Boise State play the 10th and final game in their new contract in 2034, where will you be and what will you be doing? Look into the future, Riley. <laughs> Boy, that's great. Okay, so you know what? I will probably have gone to, by that time, my oldest son will have been in high school, so let's assume they play on like a Thursday. You know, let's say they get like that Thursday game, so I'll be getting ready to go to a high school game that Friday night. And, uh, you know, in the thick of raising a bunch of teenagers is probably where I'll be. Probably still around here in Utah. My roots are deep. Don't really want to go anywhere else. That's about all I can. My whole life revolves around football, as you can see. I was mapping out the football game, so that's about <laughs> as good as I can tell you. Well, 
my condolences that you'll be raising a bunch of teenagers then. And then secondly, I hope you're still doing your job and doing what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. Boy, I uh, if they can, you know, if they keep me around at BYU that long, again, I don't think, I think, um, you know, Mark Lyons is the, is the uh, oh my goodness, who was, who said the, is the Cal Ripken. Sorry to Cal Ripken for blocking out his name. Is the Cal Ripken of radio yeah. analysts putting 38 years in. I don't know that I'll be able to surpass that, but boy, if I can get from here to 20, 34, 15 years, I'll be tickled pink. And then, 38 years, that's a long time. I didn't realize he did it that long. That, that is, certainly is tremendous. How many of these moments that you had, like on Saturday, will you have going forward over the next 15 years? You know, I think a lot. I think BYU uh, being with, and, and I don't think independence will spread out 15 years. I think something will happen on the landscape that will, that will have BYU aligned somewhere, somehow. I don't know what that is. It looks pretty... It looks pretty bleak and distant at the moment, but 15 years is a long time. Uh, but that being said, I, I think a lot. I think BYU is in a position or in a place where the program, if they play clean football like they did on Saturday, and, and barring you know very upper echelon teams, they're going to be in competitive. They're going to be in a position in a competitive situation late in games, you know, and if they get lucky and the ball bounces their way like it did against Tennessee, then it's going to make for a lot of these type of, uh, of endings. Riley Nelson joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So where do you think BYU got lucky on Saturday, and where do you think BYU made their own luck on Saturday? Yeah, that, I'll start with the latter first. They made their own luck by taking care of the football. It was um, not to continue to you know, drag on the misery of the rivalry for, for BYU fans. But so many made the excuse that, man, have we not just given up two pick sixes and another fumble inside our own red zone and given them 20 points off turnovers, we're right in that football game. And I know Utah fans were kind of saying, oh, yeah, right. You know, the second half, we held the ball for nine minutes. We did what we wanted with you. We imposed our will. But BYU somewhat proved that. Now, I'm not trying to equate Utah and Tennessee. Utah's program, I mean, their execution and and they're in a lot better place than Tennessee, who's kind of struggling right now. But bottom line is they did go on the road to, you know, one of college football's biggest and, and most fierce venues. I know it wasn't at 102 capacity, but 92,000 is still quite a riled-up crowd. And through not turning the ball over and, and minimizing their penalties and winning the field position battle, they were. They made their own luck uh, to put themselves in a position at the end, and then really it all came down to that last play, right? There was a holding that backed them up to their own eight-yard line, and then Zach, you know, didn't wasn't able to make it to the sticks on that run before that final throw. So BYU couldn't stop the clock being out of timeout. So it's to quote, you know, Chris Berman back when he used to do the fastest two minutes: tick, 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 and uh, and luckily Matt Bushman. Uh, kind of drew a lot of attention from the safety on the corner. What happened on that play is the corner was covering Micah Simon as Zach's eyes went over to that right side of the field. Uh, the corner kind of assumed that he was going to go to Matt Bushman like most of us did, right? Matt is the most verifiable playmaker on BYU's offense. And so the corner fell off Micah. Luckily for Zach, it was all right in his line of sight because he could see as he was looking at, at Matt, Micah popped open behind him was able to get the ball to him and obviously set him up for the game-time field goal. And then once that happened, uh, they did 
I don't think it was luck from there because that 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 play and and making the field goal took all the wind out of Tennessee's sails. I don't think at that point, once it headed to overtime, I don't think very many people on that sideline or in that stadium, given what had happened the week before, thought Tennessee had much of a chance and BYU took care of business. So I heard Rubel had a stat on your show saying that the Cougars under Kalani are eight and one without any turnovers. I mean, that, that's so significant and clearly. If you have to have turnovers, you'd rather have a fumble because in a pick-six situation, you end up a lot of times where it's a bunch of slow guys trying to chase a bunch of fast guys or the guy who's intercepting the ball, and it doesn't work very well. So you end up with pick-sixes, which is what they had twice against Utah, obviously. And so then the second week against Tennessee – Zach Wilson doesn't throw any turn uh, any interceptions, let alone pick sixes. And the difference is they win the game. What is the difference between what was the difference between him in game one and game two that allowed him to be turnover free? You know, uh, Utah's pass rush uh, is far better than Tennessee's. Yet BYU only gave up one sack, or, or I should say, sack in this situation only took one sack against Utah. Yet there were four sacks against Tennessee. So, so how do you equate for that? Well, in Utah, and it happened on the first pick six. Zach was really trying to do, you know, he was giving maximum effort and trying his his darndest to get out of trouble and make a play. Right, that led to the Francisco Bernard pick. Well, against Tennessee, multiple times of those four sacks, three of them really were ones where Zach really was like a pro. You know, the margin for error in the NFL is where it's the slimmest. And, and college football against good competition is where you get as close to that comp- is, as close to that slim margin of error in the NFL. And that's why you see so many NFL quarterbacks eat the ball and take a sack. And you don't see a ton of college because in, in college you can still out-athlete or, out, you know, uh, you, can, you can have the athletic advantage there where you can take that extra risk. Well, Zach, three out of the four sacks to me, he, he could have fought harder. Or he could have tried to you know do a flip, a, a desperate flip to a running back or something like that. But instead, he just tucked the ball, covered it up, and, and went down. And so uh, there was a there was a step of maturity there that I I for one was really pleased to see because Zach, I think, and, and I don't think he compromises his his confident, assertive, and, and his playmaking ability in doing that. That's that's kind of an often an assumption that not only fans have but players have. That if you take you know a, a smart stack in a smart moment, that now all of a sudden you become a, a passive game manager, and that's not the case. So Zach continues to mature and balance that that aggressive playmaking ability with the the headiness of of taking care of the football. I think it'll show well for this BYU offense. Tyson Williams had a pretty good game, but he still only had 17 carries. And I know BYU hasn't had a lot of offensive snaps in the first two games, so that's, that's an impact on how often he's getting the ball, obviously. But what do you think the right total is for him going forward, assuming BYU starts snapping the ball offensively 70 or 80 times a game? Boy, you said it, DJ. 60, they ran 55 plays in the first game, and they ran 60 plays in a two-overtime two game. So that's baffling to me. That that would be priority number one is find a way to get plays up. Now, I know they're kind of in a position where they're, they, they haven't really proven that they can move the ball up and down the field, so they might be playing a little bit of um, a little bit of you know time of possession and conservative kind of don't mess it up. Our defense will make a play ball, but they got to get more they got to get more shots up. 
But I think I think the right amount of touches is, is somewhere around 20. I do think, you know, Lapini Katoa has things to offer, and I think Zach, in most games, will be able to enhance the rush game with, with his feet, whether, you know, he's pulling a zone read or they run a draw or he's just scrambling and picking up first downs with his feet. So I do not think Tyson – I mean, Tyson's not like a Harvey Younger. Their, their sizes are just different. Harvey went 245 and was 6'2", and Tyson – well, he's he's built well. He's not built that big, and he's not. And and, and I don't know where he hasn't had that season in college football where he's been an absolute workhorse and proven he can do it because he is such uh, a an asset to this offense. I don't think you risk it by trying to pump him up to twenty five, thirty carries. So I think right around twenty, whether they make it there or not, I don't think they should be super focused on. But shoot for high teens, twenty carries, um, and, and you know if he can keep his rush per carry up around five like you had against Tennessee and I think that'll be enough for the BYU offense to have success so you being a quarterback try to explain what this USC freshman did in his first start ever at the college level against Stanford because obviously he was absolutely brilliant yeah he he was and what he did was more more than anything he did physically it was mentally in that he knew that he's got Four wide receivers that some people think that USC will have the top receiver taken off the board in the next three drafts. Yeah. Between Amon Ross St. Brown, Pittman, Vaughn, and then I'm blocking, I can't remember this freshman's name, number 15. But between those four players, they're all going to get drafted. Most are projecting they're all going to. And we lost Riley. I think we know where he's going with that point. Yak will try to get him back I mean, on the phone. They are studs. They are. We've just, been saying it for weeks and months. They are just stacked. And if you go through the roster, the guys who aren't playing are all six four, six five, and they're all freshmen and sophomores. So even as these guys go off to the NFL, it looks like they got other guys who can step in and and potentially still be really good players for them. Maybe not to the level of these top two or three well, guys. Two, but. you know, and I don't know how long Harrell is going to stay there because I don't know how long Helton's going to stay there. But if they start throwing the ball a lot more. That's just going to increase the opportunity for them to get even more better receivers. I mean, they already got great ones, but the point being is that it will continue because, you know, student body left, student body right, which is what SC has been known for for many, many, many years with all the Heismans. They've had a few Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks now, or at least a couple. And so if they throw the ball a lot more, and receivers are already flocking there. So if they throw it more, they'll be even more. And they're really good. I, I but I can't just say that it's the receivers and everybody else around him that made him look like he was all world. You got to give some credit to the kid. Absolutely. The throws were on the money. The deep ball he threw for a touchdown early was perfect. I mean, it was sensational. Perfecto. But it definitely makes the game easier to have all that talent around you, without question. All right, Riley's back with us. Riley, you were just making the point, and you cut out there, you're making the point about the depth and talent of that receiving core. Yeah, but, and, and to give the quarterback credit, I don't want to take anything away from her because what, what most freshmen, they, they have nerves, especially against Stanford, right? Stanford is an in-conference rival. It was a nationally televised game, and it was his first start. So there were a lot of things there that, that would give him a good excuse to come out and try and do something extra, try and force throws, try and do all of those things. But he didn't. He stayed within the plan. Now, uh, I think we've got to give Graham Harrell some credit there as well. That He's brought in that Texas Tech kind of air raid 
um, a, a kind of a modification of what Mike Leach runs, and that is all about easy completions. They don't. You, you did mention that he dropped that teardrop of a beautiful ball on his first touchdown between two defenders for the first one, but most of the other ones were getting the ball out of his hand quick to receiver in the flat, who was able to catch the ball in space and, and make some plays of it, and um, so he came out and executed the game plan extremely poised and of course you know he's got an embarrassment of riches of talent around him Riley Nelson BYU football radio analyst joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone Uh, how is BYU secondary possibly going to match up with all these receivers I mean it, it looks like an impossible task yeah, and I think it's going to be a next to possible task for for any secondary in the country because the couple of things the offense is designed to get the ball out of your hand quick, so it's neutralizing it's neutralizing the pass rush, and that can get really frustrating for defensive linemen if they never have more than you know a second and a half to two seconds to try and get to the quarterback. And even against battle lines, that's a lot. So the but you've got the design of the offense that poses a problem. Um, if you if you try and light them up and try and blitz now BYU uh, BYU doesn't play much man to begin with but that would put them in a position of playing man which I think is is not a very wise thing to do and so that leaves dropping back and playing coverage BYU does has played a lot of drop eight coverage where they only rush three defensive linemen and then they drop eight players that that serves a couple of purposes one is it, hopefully guys aren't getting behind you and getting behind the defense. And then, two, you've got a lot of guys in the area that when they do catch the ball underneath in the short to intermediate ranges, you've got a, a guy or two around to tackle them. And that's going to be a big thing because all of these USC wide receivers are great with the ball in their hand. They're great ball runners and, and, and good at getting yards after the catch. And so it's going to be vital for BYU to have a guy close to make some initial contact so that these guys can't work their magic in the open field and then rally and pursue really quickly and aggressively to make sure they get on the ground and then and then hope that you know we call it the sophomore slump from year one to year two you hope there's a little bit of a second game slump from game one to game two where this freshman was so so great his first year maybe a couple of those freshman mistakes that are inevitable for most 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 players kind of as BYU's forcing them to execute long drives and, and not allow them to push the ball down the field, that he'll get impatient, force a player to, and, and give the ball up, you know, giving BYU a chance. Riley, you said every secondary in the country is going to have trouble. You're calling it right now. I see what you did. You're saying SC is going to beat Utah next week, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to see, right? It's, all right, PK. I'll let you. I'll let you run with that one. I, do, I, think, I, I think the new the new Coliseum. They got some mojo. They've surprised a lot of people. I think I, I my pick, in, and I don't know that I said this much publicly, but just in talking to people coming into the college football season, everybody writing USC off. I, I really, I really didn't understand that because JT Daniels is a true freshman. Now they find themselves with another freshman in this situation. But that will be that will be an immense battle and and that will really put Utah to the test. I'll tell you what, there's been a couple of things. One, I, I've always thought Utah Utah was going to be better than everyone or sorry, I thought USC was going to be better than everyone thought they were. And it's been a little bit hard for me to believe the, the Utah hype. If the Utah 
secondary, at least as far as a playoff dark horse. I think as far as being, you know, being a challenger for the Pac-12 championship, I can buy that. But being a playoff dark horse has been a little tough for me to swallow. If that secondary for Utah can come out and neutralize that receiving core for USC, then I'll be all in on Utah, you know, going all the way and, and having a chance at making it to the Final Four. Well, Riley, you know what it's like to come out as a freshman and have a big game and win a big game. You know, you're at Utah State and you beat Fresno State. And we all, I mean, we're all prisoners a little bit of the most recent thing we've seen, right? I think recency bias is the expression. But it can be an up and down for a freshman. So put yourself in his shoes. Yes, he looked awesome against Stanford. How much does that set him up for multiple awesome games going forward? But what could trip him up? And he's inconsistent and he has some bad games and throws some picks. What does it look like from his viewpoint going forward? Yeah, his his biggest thing is going to is going to be to try and stay with you. when you're in high school. And granted, by the way, do you guys know much about this kid's high school experience? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, he played in Kurt Warner was his uh, quarterback coach down there in Scottsdale. Uh, he put up some decent numbers, but the team wasn't very good. Yeah, three and seven. I had, I was so surprised. That USC even looking, you know, you think in high school when you've got that special of a player, he can at least will his team to more than three wins, especially playing in Scottsdale. Now, I don't know, maybe Scottsdale plays some of the better teams down in Phoenix and, and all that, but I see that as more like, I don't see that as a football mecca. That's, that's golf mecca for a bunch of old retirees. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, the, the kid I think has, has extreme discipline. Um, and maybe part of that is developed in high school with, with playing against players, or pl- sorry, playing with players who really don't provide much help. He probably learned that it doesn't matter if you don't use the guys around you or rely on them, you can't win it all by yourself, being that football is the ultimate team game. So what it looks like for him is to is two things. One, dealing with adversity, because adversity will come. No matter the talent he's got around him, the system, or as disappointed as you think he is, he's going to make mistakes. Because mistakes in, in college, at the high level of college football are only eliminated as you accrue a volume of uh, plays because you can't see everything that people are going to throw at you. So how will he respond to adversity? How well is he able to put it in the interview mirror and move forward? And then the second thing is finding himself in a competitive game. And granted, Stanford got out to an early lead against SC. I think it was 20-3 to or, or, or 14 or 17-3. to It was somewhere around there. And he did not panic, so he kind of had his first shot at that. But being down seventeen to three in the first quarter is a lot different than being down ten late in the third. As far as the the pressure that you feel as a player to press and really try and make something special happen, if he can fight off those urges and stay with the program um, and, and rely on the cast around him, then it'll be great. But those are going to be dealing with adversity and, and uh, not pressing are going to be his two biggest challenges to overcome. All right, Riley, as always, we appreciate a few minutes and, uh, you know, build that 15-year plan and then work towards it and let us know how that works out for you in 2034. <laughs> if you can find <laughs> us, because who knows where we'll be. Yeah, we'll, be, well, I assume we'll still be talking every Wednesday morning over those. That's my plan, Riley. <laughs> that would be All awesome. Right, <laughs> I'll take that. Thanks, Riley. Riley Nelson. Thanks, there's Riley Nelson on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, BYU football analyst. When we come back, all the headlines, what is trending's on the way.